podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This was my reaction when Salah scored that goal against Chelsea. Oh yeah, we won 2-0. We're going to talk about it. Here we go. and welcome to the Copy Podcast. We are joined today by Andrew Beasley, editor of 12 Football and free, freelance football writer. I'm Mick. I'm Matt. And we're joined today by Andrew. Hi guys. Thanks hi, for having hi me Andrew. on. Hi Andrew, how are you doing? You okay? Yeah, very good, thanks. Yeah, thanks. thanks for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. We, uh, good time to be a Red, isn't it? So, uh, it yeah, is happy indeed. <laughs> Brilliant time to be a Red. Um, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think... Uh, like Mick, Mick said off air, we'll just talk about the latest game and put a bit of demons to rest, didn't we? Yeah. Finally. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a really good performance. I mean, it, it wasn't sort of sparkling performance throughout, but I mean, it was probably never going to be in, in a big game like that. So, um, no, it was it was very good. Uh, two brilliant goals, obviously. Um, perhaps a little bit of luck that Hazard didn't get one back, but um, on the whole, yeah, no, thoroughly deserved victory. I think the the fact that 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 goal didn't go in for Hazard sort of written in the stars that it was ours ours to win. I mean, we'll talk about obviously the match events as they happen, but quickly quickly to mention that that Salah goal though is just just unbelievable, wasn't it? Just incredible stuff. Oh yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I I didn't sort of think of it at the time. I saw a tweet after, and and someone saying like, "Oh, you'd have thought Daniel Sturridge's goal would be the best goal against Chelsea this season," yeah. uh, which was incredible when he scored at Stamford Bridge. But no, I mean that that Salah goal. I mean, just and and coming so quickly after the first one as well. It's not just the quality of the goal, which was obviously amazing, but just I mean, it, it almost put the the result to bed just scoring the second goal so quickly and, and from such a great goal as well. Just yeah, brilliant. But, yeah, well, I mean, obviously the Salah goal and the, the way the, the goals came in quick succession was great. Uh, I think, but t- touching mainly on the first half, I think it, it, it went as we pretty much expected to. Chelsea began the game sitting quite deep and were obviously trying to uh, play down the clock as, as quick as they could because obviously Kepa was t- seemed to be taking an age on goal kicks. I think a couple of players were down. Emerson and were, as well, yeah. A couple of them were going down and... You, as you expect, yeah. they, were, they were trying to slow us down because obviously that's the, that's the main tactic to try and stop Liverpool to try and st- slow the pace down. Um, did you think? Did you think the first half went as as planned, or did you think we, we could have done a bit better? No, I mean, pretty. I think pretty much as as you say is what you'd expect. I mean, I think Sarri has said since their plan was to try and keep it as nil nil for as long as possible, and then um, presumably make the switch he did where he brings on. Higuain and pushes Hazard into a sort of more familiar position. Um, yeah, I think I think I mean, could Liverpool have done more in the first half, possibly, but you know Chelsea aren't going to be easy to to break down at the best of times. And, and as you say, they were sort of time wasting from the from the beginning. I mean, they'd have probably taken a nil nil full time quite happily. Oh, so yeah, um, you know, there was nothing out of the ordinary there. I mean, perhaps Liverpool could have moved it around a bit quicker and stuff like this, but then. I think they're more patient themselves now anyway. You know, we, we sort of tend to remember the last couple of seasons where it was all very much sort of high tempo throughout and then they'd be tired by the end. And now they seem to have switched it to be sort of patient at first and then sort of pick it up after the break. But, um, yeah, no, I think I think the first half pretty much no, no real surprises there. I mean, I, I hate cliches and all that, but it very much was sort of a game of two halves, wasn't it? The first yeah. half was very sort of tactical. On yeah. both parts, Liverpool didn't really want to give too much away. Chelsea didn't want to give anything away. And then in the second half, it just sort of just blew up, didn't it? Just really, really out of nothing. Like Salah, Salah got tackled, and 
any other time that ball doesn't fall to Henderson, but but, but props for Henderson for for just fighting in there, yep. skipping past. I think it was uh, Christensen, and then clipping it to the back post where there's a little Sadio again. But yeah. Um, yeah, Henderson. Let's just talk about him for a minute because he has been just something else, hasn't he, since he's moved a bit more ball forward. It's been yeah, it's been tremendous. I mean, like we've got. When he first joined, we talked about it before. Like that, that was pretty much where he was. He was playing a more advanced role when he went when he first signed for Liverpool. It's only because yeah. we've we've needed a an anchor man, so to speak. That he, he's had to. He's probably been the best suited to play there. So as Klopp said after, I think said after one of the games, like it's his fault that Henderson's been more sitting more back, obviously on his orders because that's where he wants him to play. And it, now that we've got Fabinho and he's more settled into that role. And he's obviously going to play in pretty much every game there, so it makes more sense to use Henderson's energy and going forward. And he's been he's been unbelievable. I think Sunez said that after the game, he um, it's like he's he's off the leash now. Like it seems like he's because he's that type of player, isn't he? Like he's his energy never ends, uh, and especially with Fabinho just slotting in there, it, it does make sense for him to play a bit further forward, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think. Um I think people forget kind of too easily now that um, he was actually pretty creative when he first... I mean, that's why Damien Camoli signed him. And he and he sort of generally was pretty creative those first few years. I mean, um, obviously, you know, assists are a bit of a flaky stat because obviously they're slightly reliant on the finishing of the person who gets the chance. But, I mean, 2013-14, only Gerard and Suarez got more assists in the league than, than Henderson did. He got the same as Coutinho with seven. And then the year afterwards... Um, wasn't a great year for Liverpool, but Henderson got nine assists. And there's only five players in the Premier League from any club who got more than him. So, I mean, as I say, assists aren't the best way of measuring how creative a player is. But, I mean, clearly he was doing something right in those seasons when he was playing in a more advanced role. Yeah. And, yeah. and he's then dropped back under instruction from Klopp and, and people say he doesn't sort of set anything up and he only passes sideways and stuff like this. But I think you just have to think he wouldn't be in the team if he wasn't doing what the manager wanted and I suppose in fairness it's not like he's played literally every game but yeah the, the, the sort of impressive stuff we've seen over the last couple of games you know he was doing that for Liverpool it's just that it was sort of four or five years ago now and it, and it sort of gets forgotten but yeah, um, he's, he's obviously he's got the ability and he's got the sort of legs to do the running that, that Klopp requires so I mean I mean, I'm not sure he's going to start every game there but, you know, for the rest of his oh, Liverpool yeah. career, but I mean, <clears throat> I, I think it would be foolish to write him off from, from playing there quite regularly from now on also. Yeah, we've mentioned before the 13-14 season that Henderson really was sort of, he was playing in this more advanced, unleashed position, mm. and he did quite well. He was, he was the box-to-box midfielder that sometimes they'd drive the team forward. You know, he had Gerrard's quality, he had Coutinho's quality, but Henderson was the guy that was sort of all over the place that he was allowed. And since then, like you say, he's sort of been been in this holding role that probably hasn't let him highlight the best of his abilities and now that he's asked Klopp to move forward because he's, he, Klopp said himself that Henderson yeah. came to him and asked him um, now you, Liverpool fans are sort of getting to see what Henderson can do again because football fans do have kind of a short memory um, Very short. and granted maybe his performances weren't great at the start of the season but we've defended him quite a bit on, on this show because Sometimes the, the the abuse he gets is sort of unwarranted, but I think right now he's playing at a level that you just you, you can't find anything wrong with him at the moment. I think at least. No, I think that ties in. But we've got a, a question from our website editor, uh, Daniel Moxon. He said, "Has Henderson's resurgence in an advanced role help, helped him cement his first team, uh, cement a role in the first team long term, or will he see his chances more limited as the squad improves?" Uh, I think. Uh, this season, I think it, I think he's pretty much safe. I think it's a different question next season when, you know, Kate has had a year under his belt. Uh, Chamberlain's back fully fit. I think then then it's a bit of a toss up between Chamberlain and Henderson for the sort of advanced like midfield role, sort of yeah, the, running the channel right sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, but I think this year, especially, it's coming to crunch time now. You don't want to risk Chamberlain, and I, I really can't think of a reason. There's no excuse to take Henderson out the team right now. So I think. I think for now it's his. I'm not sure what you think, Andrew. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not sure that um, Klopp will ever have a sort of set three for the for the midfield. I mean, he'll probably have those he favours over others. But, I mean, when you, when you look at this season, you know, there, there's no midfielder in the top um, five, well, six Liverpool players, including the goalkeeper, but there's none in the top five outfield players for minutes played because they've all kind of come in and out. Um, now, 
as you rightly say, I mean, Cater should hopefully be a bit better next season, be a bit more bedded in. He'll probably get more minutes. Chamberlain will get more minutes. Hopefully, assuming he comes back, I should say. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's unlikely that any of them will really, truly cement a place in the team unless they do amazingly well. So um, I think the odds against, I think the odds are against Henderson becoming, you know, a long-term pick playing sort of nine out of ten games there. But um, I certainly think he'll get plenty of opportunities. And Klopp does tend to reward players when they do well, and that's that. That can even be in in training, not even in the games. I mean, everyone was surprised. Uh, a few weeks ago when um, Lallana started against Burnley. But Klopp said, no, he's been really good in training. Yeah, and then he had, a, he had a good game as well. So I think it's very hard to look at Liverpool's midfield and say, these are the guys who are going to play. Because I think, I mean, certainly from the outside, it seems like Klopp basically loves all of them um, for the sort of things they bring. So um, I, 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 I'm, not, as I say, I'm not sure Henderson will be playing every week necessarily, but I think he'll certainly get as... He'll probably get as much of a share of the midfield as, as pretty much any of the others, I'd have thought. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we have what we've got Fabinho, Milner, Genie, Hendo, Chamberlain, Milner, Lallana. Missing anyone out? Cater. Uh, I think it's a cater. Yeah. And then anyone that we potentially sign in the summer. Now, that's seven midfielders for, like, for three positions on the pitch. Yeah. And more often than not, Fabinho will probably be the most used midfield. Because, like you've said, Andrew Klopp does like to rotate. But we've seen, sort of, since he's sort of come through that rough spell, that, that Fabinho has been used the more prominently out of all the three midfielders. You, you, then you've got six other players fighting for two positions. Like regardless of how well he's playing, like you say, Andrew, it is a sort of a toss-up six for two positions. Klopp is going to chop and change, and he does like to do that. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think as it stands, if everybody was at sort of, you know, was at their maximum, he'd, he'd probably go something like. Um, uh, yeah, I think Fabinho and then May- and Wijnaldum um, are probably the two most secure, I would think. And then it's probably, well, one of the others for the for the sort of the third spot. Um, it could well be sort of Keita long term. It could be Fabinho, Wijnaldum, Keita are the sort of the first choice three. Because obviously you, you, you've listed sort of seven or eight guys, however many it was then. I mean, whether they'll all stay, whether, you know... Yeah. Um, I've seen contrasting things about whether Milner's out of contract this summer or next summer, but obviously yeah. if Leeds come up, he might want to go and I've been thinking that there. as well, yeah. I thought yeah. I think if Leeds um, come up, they'd probably want to leave. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Klopp would necessarily push Lalana out of the door, but if he wanted to go equally, I think Klopp would, would let him. Yeah, He's definitely. obviously not been very fit for the last couple of years. Um, so... It's interesting to see, and obviously they, they would obviously look likely to sign Nabil Fakir, although it, though it never happened. So whether there'll be a move back for him, or more likely somebody different but kind of similar-ish to him. Um, so yeah, it, I think it's an interesting time. I think there will still be six or seven names for those spots next season, but they may not be the six or seven that that we currently have. You know? Yeah, I get what you mean. Um, so obviously we talk about Henderson because of the first goal. Mane has been. Awesome lately. Um, he sort of he pulled the team up when Firmino and Salah weren't firing, and now that Salah's got the goals back. But it's good to see Mane come back into it. I, I saw something today on on Twitter. I'm not sure who who did it, but there was a sort of a thread going around. Someone had said that Mane was probably the most consistent one out of the front three this year. How far would you agree or disagree with that? Um, I mean, it's an interesting point. I mean, certainly he's been um, the most productive player um, in the last couple of months, although I think Salah's been playing well generally without the uh, without without always getting the goals. Um, obviously, Firmino's been a, li- a little bit sort of up and down. Um, but, I mean, I think when you, when you look across the season, they've all sort of had spells where they've scored for a few games in a row or three games out of four, and then a few games, you know, where they, where they haven't. I mean... It might feel like Mane's been the most consistent, but I mean, he had, just after the start of the season, he had seven starts in a row where he didn't score. He then had a run of six, slightly later on, six starts in a row where he didn't score. So, I mean, it's not like he's been really, really consistent. Um, just I a recent memory, isn't it? It is a bit of that. I mean, it's always the same, bit of recency bias on stuff like that. I think obviously Salah's been unjudged, has been judged slightly unfairly because of getting 44 goals last season, which he was he was never going to repeat. Um, I mean, he should finish on sort of in the mid 20s, um, which is you know 
which is fine, you know. It's still remarkable for a player playing well. out on the wing, yeah. isn't it? He's not. Well, exactly. the thing, he's not up front, is he? He's up front, but he's not an out and out striker. He's on the wing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I sort of I remember I did a, a podcast right at the start of the season, and somebody said, uh, you know, asked if Salah would get forty four again or whatever. I said, no, no, probably not, because the front three got about ninety goals last season, and I said something like. Oh, I'm sure they'll get about 90 again, but it might be a bit closer to sort of 30, 30 and 30 for each of them. That was obviously still a little bit ambitious, um, but but it, but it has been more even this season. Salah 22 in all comps, Mane 21, um, Firmino on 15. So, I mean, they'll all be sort of in and around sort of 20 to 25, you would imagine, by the end of the season. Uh, particularly with some sort of, I mean, not in Europe, but with easier league fixtures to come, they should all probably bag a couple more goals. So, I might have been a bit ambitious with 30 each, but I mean they they should all probably be in the 20s, which um, which is still yeah phenomenal really. It's not a bad thing to predict, you know what I mean? Like how far we've came, the the how good they've done last year. If you're predicting them numbers, then it, it shows how how good Liverpool are nowadays, nowadays and how good the forward three have been. That you're predicting those figures, even though it, it may be a sli- slightly optimistic, but we'll get we'll, we're quite close though figures at the minute. Um, I think. Hen- uh, Carragher said on Sky Sports, I think Gary Neville prompted them and asked them, um, out of the two, out of Salah or Mane, which would you leave out? And I think Carragher said he'd leave out Salah and choose Mane over Salah. Um, I don't know what you think about that. definitely did say that, yeah. 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 I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, I, don't, I, think, I think Mane can be more unpredictable, but then I think Salah's got a tad bit more quality than him, and I'm not sure whether you'd what what would you rather, the unpredictability or the quality? Uh, I'd prefer Salah because it, you're more guaranteed goals, I think. Yeah, but then Mane's only what one or two goals yeah. behind him. Oh, no, of course, yeah, he's doing really well, but I'm not sure. That's a, that's a tough one. I think uh, I think I'd rather. At the, I, I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I, just, I just thought I'd throw it out there. See what you you guys thought. What you think, Andrew? Who, who would you who would you leave out of them two if you had to pick? It is a really tough one. I mean, I think, as, as most people will acknowledge, I think the extra attention that, that Salah has been getting has kind of freed up a bit of space for, for Mane, and he's kind of he's sort of benefited from that. Um, I honestly don't know. I mean, I suppose if you were going on, if you were saying for the rest of the season, on goal-scoring form, you'd have to say Mane. You'd, you'd keep Mane. But, I mean, I think over the longer term, you'd, I think I'd probably keep Salah. But um, I can see why why someone would say Mane, as I say, on, the, on sort of current form and current yeah. record. But I think you know um, you'd have to keep Salah, wouldn't you? I think. <laughs> but yeah. hopefully, we never have to. We don't have to have this problem in the summer or anything like that. But, but hopefully, uh, not. yeah. I think it's like, like you said before, Matt. It's like the recency thing, because like Carragher said, like if you he said if you go through Liverpool's last eleven games, I think discount yeah. discounting nil 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 draws, obviously, Mane gets the first goal. In all, yeah. well, in, in pretty much all of them. So, like, it's a sign of like, I know he's always been a, a good goal scorer and he always does chip in. But getting those first goals, it does it does prove how how crucial he is to the team. Push a team on, doesn't it? Getting yeah. the first goal. Um, I saw this thing on Twitter and Salah's Salah's celebration on. We, we, we'll touch on the goal now. Um, but Salah's celebration um, at the weekend was a yoga pose, <laughs> and this yoga instructor sort of, sort Came of out. went went viral saying that his pose. Uh, basically, uh, symbolised like roots and, and loyalty, and somehow got the link that he, that he was here for the long haul. Um, like I hope this is true, uh, but what do you make of it? Do you think he thought that far in advance of his, of his celebration? Or do you think she's just chatting a load of crap? <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I think a lot of celebrations. I mean, they might think about them a little bit beforehand, but I'd imagine it's just in the know, moment, spare the moment, yeah. or anything like that. I mean. It's a nice idea, and I think I think you know Salah's obviously quite a sort of humble guy. I don't think he'd sort of be desperate to sort of leave Liverpool or anything like that. But it's it's the same as it always is. I think I think most players are happy at Liverpool, but if Real Madrid and Barcelona come calling with a double your money offer or whatever it is, then it gets harder to stay loyal, you know. And and I don't blame them for that. I know a lot of people sort of you know hate players who leave, but you know I think you have to be a bit realistic about it and stuff like that so I, I, Salah doesn't strike me as the kind of person who'd agitate for a move but not agitating for a move and then sort of taking a move is, is probably two different things but um, yeah no I'm not sure he was really thinking about that when he's just 
flashed in a thirty-yarder against Chelsea. Or whatever. Yeah, I think I think it's more of in a response to the, obviously the, the the Chelsea chanting that was. Oh yeah, we've all, talked about that. That, that yeah. was all over Twitter. Isn't that, yeah, that isn't that, that that's likely. like the icing yeah. on the cake that they're sort of they're making these racist <coughs> claims and the guys that that win the game for Liverpool are two Muslims. I mean, it was, that, isn't that it was literally the the perfect time and that all that came out just a couple of days before the Chelsea game. It's like what what better incentive to go and score a screamer and, and celebrate? Yeah, exactly. Cup. Like unbelievable. Yeah, it's just we talked about it last week. There is literally like no place for it, and it's just he's shut them up in the most perfect way, hasn't he? Yeah, perfectly. And Absolutely. Funnily enough, I, I've just sort of clicked at it. The last two games we played against Chelsea, two of our goal scorers have been ex-Chelsea players, and that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to piss them off, isn't it? Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but now talking about Salah's Salah's goal, and we touched upon it at the start, but. When when he took the touch and he went past Emerson, you could see that he was sort of winding up to shoot. I don't know about you guys, but I was really hoping that he wasn't going to shoot. Just, just um, like against Southampton, when I was hoping he was going to pass it, I was thinking, "Don't shoot." Based on his current, yeah, I was like, "Don't the shoot, target with don't shots. shoot." Because he's just even even on form. Like Salah's not the kind of player that you just you associate with thirty-yard screamers. He hasn't got the sweetest strike. He does yeah. scuff a lot. So. But, yeah. but, he hit it, and I was, as soon as he hit it, I was like, there's an issue here. <laughs> this might be a little he's bit hit, dangerous. Hit and then you just saw Kepa, like, sort of, like, scrambling, and the ball didn't move. It sort of just went straight, like, like a spear. I, I was just... Because I've got a group chat back home, and the, the, there's one Chelsea fan, a few United fans, and the sort of the most anti-Liverpool bunch you'll ever see. And when that went in, I ran around screaming, had my girlfriend record me, and I sent a nice little... Little high pitched voice message to that yeah, group chat. It was just, <laughs> it came out of nowhere that goal, honestly. Like, it is, yeah. It's just. Oh, we touched, it, and we touched on Henderson. Like, when you watch the clip back, you can see Henderson makes a long bust and run down the right hand side, pulls Loftus cheek out of position, opening up that space for Salah to cut inside. Mm. And I mean, like, I know it's certain minute details matter hugely in these games. And if that maybe that was someone else in that position, that space might not have been there. So, Very true, yeah. yeah. I know we bang no, the, Hend- we bang the Henderson drum, but thing it's that, yeah. sort of thing that doesn't show up in the in the sort of stats that, yeah. you, that you tend to see. But yeah. obviously, I mean, it, it's not quite an assist, but clearly, what Henderson did there is is making space. The goal probably doesn't happen if if Henderson doesn't do that. Course, yeah, yeah um, very true. Because there's not space to shoot through. So, like I say, it, it, it's not an assist in the traditional sense, but it was certainly important to to uh, enabling the goal to happen. Yeah, yeah it's vital. Now we've also previously we've touched upon like Alexander Arnold's importance to the team. He's always available on the right, but something that I've noticed recently is that Virgil and Salah have a sort of like a perfect link, so to speak. And it's weird saying that from your right wing and your centre back, but Virgil's capable of that sort of diagonal long ball. And I think I've lost count of the amount of times that he's gone for it, and it's and it's sort of worked out. That that is a it's a weird, it's an odd partnership that that's sort of formed, isn't it? Yeah, it's on every time, isn't it? Like every time the ball comes back, any game away from home or anything, the, the switch is always on. And when you've got the likes of Van Dijk or Matip, who's good on the ball, Gomez, whoever's in there, Matip with his midfield runs, like Van Dijk <laughs> can always pick them passes out. And especially when the, the wings are staying wide like they do, it, it's always an option. Just a little switch, and even to the fullbacks who seem to be getting on, getting up up the pitch even more now nowadays. So, yeah, long may I continue. Fingers crossed. But anyways, um, obviously we're all chuffed with the result. Uh, how did you react when Robertson slipped? I laughed. Like I laughed. after we, <laughs> after we cleared the danger. I was like, "Well, that thank <laughs> okay, that's just that sort of yeah, of course it was going to happen." I laughed, but like it, it was just the commentary that made me laugh. Like Matt and Tyler, just like, "Oh, thank God it didn't come to something." And you're just like, "Well, <laughs> we were two 0 up." Yeah. And it's not that like they're always trying to make a story out of something, aren't they? And obviously, Klopp came out after it and said. Robertson slipped. Nothing happened. It's a closed book now. Yeah. So, I think, I think. Did you see Klopp? I'm not sure if it was the Porto pre-match press conference or the post-match press conference, but they, the journalist did sort of piss him off, and he said something along the lines of, "It's bullshit. It's not a Liverpool thing. It's just a thing yeah. that happens." Yeah. And that it's it's good to see the manager sort of just just chat honestly when he needs to chat honestly, yeah. isn't it? Um. He's not afraid to. He's not afraid to put his views about, and, and he likes to swear on in press conferences, doesn't he? So that's, that's all good. <laughs> what, what, what did you think about Allison's uh, recent performances, Andrew? I mean, 
I think that game he's he's now got eighteen clean sheets and equal in De Gea. Um considering it's his first first season in the Premier League, it's a ridiculous stat to be honest with you. I mean he's he's still got he's now got four games to, to topple that. And he pulled off an important save as well. Like yeah. regardless of the commentator saying how poorly Hazard hit the ball, Allison still had to save it. So, yeah, and I mean, I think he did his best to uh, put Hazard off to the first one that hit the post as well. Hmm. Um, it's, again, it's not a save as such because, you know, obviously the ball went past him. But I mean, he made it really difficult for Hazard to score. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think generally he's been he's been brilliant. Um, I, I'm, I still get quite nervous sometimes when he's sort of passing the ball around at the back. But I don't think that's ever going to change. I'm just going to have to get used to that. Um and obviously, yeah, like you say, he's got um, 18 clean sheets. I think there's only been five five goalkeepers in the Premier League who've ever got more, or at least since they sort of started the Golden Gloves uh, thing um, in about 2004. And, and, and then you think about it again, and, and obviously the, um, the mistake he made at Leicester away, I mean, he's probably got another clean sheet there if he doesn't do that. Um, you know, he spilled one against United at home uh, for them to score. They didn't create much otherwise, you know, stuff like that. So um, he, he's, he's not been perfect. But then I think the problem is, is that no goalkeeper is and, it, and it's foolish yeah. to, to assume yeah. they are, you know. Um, David De Gea is brilliant, but I mean, he still lets in, you know, I don't know how many goals United have let in, and, you know, but he, he probably could have saved some of them. I don't watch all their games or whatever, but, you know. Yeah. I think goalkeeper is one of those positions where they could just get judged so unfairly. Obviously, Allison has made mistakes, but um, you know that that's just the nature of it. You know, you you, you take the sort of rough with the smooth with the goalkeeper. I mean, you know, technically in the Opta stats, he's made more errors leading to goals and shots than than Loris Carius did last season. But of course, nobody would would swap one for the other. It's just the fact that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Carius has made uh, Carius made fewer mistakes overall, but of course he did make two in a Champions League final, which tends to uh, stick in the memory. <laughs> be a bit of a problem, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. And obviously, Allison's got other strengths on top. And you know, it's not just about that. But the point is, if you if you're looking for a flaw, absolutely flawless goalkeeper, you're almost certainly not going to find one. Yeah, but, uh, yeah no. I mean, on, on the whole, Allison has been has been brilliant. And I mean, you know, fingers crossed, all being well, he could be Liverpool's goalkeeper for the next. I don't know, ten years maybe. I don't know how old he is exactly, but uh, you know, maybe not ten years, but a good sort of five, six, seven years or something. I think he's only twenty-six. To be yeah, honest, so he's, he's, he's yeah, still. Yeah, so maybe ten years. Yeah, this, this is yeah. the thing as well. Like you, you look at how Liverpool are placed now, and like okay, thirteen, fourteen was a bit of a freak season. Suarez sort of carried us, but this season we have got a, a good squad, a good solid group of players that are genuinely world class. A, a, a large majority yeah. of them. What? Where would they want to go? That isn't. Where, where could they go that is an improvement on Liverpool right now? Because apart from maybe Barcelona at a stretch and possibly Juventus, I don't really see a team that is clearly better than Liverpool. And even those two are a bit of a stretch because Madrid have certainly fallen off. Man City, <clears throat> yes, they're good. But at the same time, I don't think that... I think they've got more squad depth than Liverpool, but I don't yeah, think that no, they're no, that, no. that that far far off in terms of, of quality. Um I just don't <clears> see where our players would want to go at the moment. And these teams talk about Juventus, Real Madrid. Their, their squads are aging. They're going to have to like have an influx of youngsters now. Whereas like the local Liverpool's best players, they're all twenty six, twenty seven. Yeah. So like for the next three, three, four years maximum, we've got a very, very solid span. And even like like Van Dijk and Fabinho. I think Fabinho's only like twenty four. And then yeah, very young. Gomez, Young, Trent. Like m- most of our first team players are under twenty eight. I think the the first eleven that played Chelsea. I don't think any of them were over thirty either, which is yeah awesome, which is brilliant. Really, which, which proves the point. Why, why would you want to move from this project going forward that that could yeah. win a lot of trophies to someone else where you, yeah, you might not have the best opportunity to do so? Exactly. But, uh, I think the good thing now is that the team is strong enough so that if one player does leave, because you can't ever rule it out. Yeah, you can't no, rule it out. I don't, th- I don't think it would be seem like sort of the end of the world quite so much as it did, you know, when Suarez left or, <clears> um, I mean, Sterling slightly less so, but, you know, Coutinho and stuff like this. If one of the front three left, for whatever reason, there'd still be two left. There'd still be two of them left. You know, you still have two brilliant sort of forward players. So um, I think Liverpool could absorb a top player leaving now far better than they have Definitely. in the past but obviously you know fingers crossed none of them do and as you say there's, 
there's not many places they can go where it'll be any better at the minute anyway. But obviously, you can never rule it out because money talks, as I said earlier. But, yeah, but, uh, but also the same thing. If someone left, for example, firstly, they'd command a, a massive fee. And yes, then secondly, definitely. Liverpool is now a very attractive prospect. When Suarez left, sort of everyone, like football players generally knew, okay, well, their best player sort of left. And it's a bit of a dropping caliber till till the, for the rest of the squad. Now, if someone leaves, then there is the attractive prospect of I could join this team that has Firmino, Mane, yeah. um, Virgil van Dijk. I could join a quality squad everywhere. and possibly win something. I could surpass the likes of whoever I'm replacing. Like Liverpool is now an attractive prospect, and I think if we lost someone, we wouldn't be far fetched to to find suitors that would like would would love to come and replace him. I think at least. Well, like you said there, Matt, like. Usually in the past you can go right. That's their best player. Whereas now that you can't do that. Well, yeah. Allison Van Dijk, True. <laughs> Mane, Salah, Firmino. Who, who who's the best player? Who's the most crucial? Not like you could you can make a point for all of them. Yeah, and that, and that's the main thing. That's why we're such an enticing prospect. This team going forward, like there's so many good players and still very young players like Robertson, who can still improve loads. Trent can pr- improve loads. Gomez could be world class. You go through that team, Cater. Very, still 24 there's, there's tons of potential there and tons of like, going forward we, it could be, we could be really really good fingers crossed uh, Andrew what are your thoughts of the, of the league then? what do you think our odds are like, do you think there's a think it's 50-50 or what would you reckon yeah it's probably about that I mean I, I you know tend to look at the bookmakers because they don't get a, too much wrong and I think they've got it at something like 53-47 in Man City's favour mm. um, I think if you look at the sort of remaining if you look at the remaining games for both teams both teams both Liverpool and City they will be favourites to win each match in isolation but of course from Liverpool's perspective we've got to focus on the fact from Man City it's not in isolation it's three again, three games against Spurs in a in 10 days and then Man United and um, stuff like Burnley that. as well so, tough place to go Burnley yeah exactly and um, they've still got to play Leicester I think and they're always capable of a surprise mm. um, I think honestly hand on heart it wouldn't surprise me if Man City won all their games and, and Liverpool did too and then Liverpool are going to get 97 points and not win the league which be kind of heartbreaking but that's the way of it I mean I think it, I mean if that were to happen which doesn't, which isn't that unrealistic. You know, Man City will have won 18 and lost one of their last 19 games. Now, I mean, there's not much Liverpool can do about it if a team's going to win 18 out of 19 games. Um, you know, Liverpool probably they've obviously dropped a few points in the last few months, but it's not like they've fallen off a cliff or anything like that. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I honestly wouldn't surprise me if both teams won all their games. I've not, I don't watch, you know, I don't want to watch Man City's games because I'm sort of, you know. They go behind against Man United or whatever, and I get my hopes up. <laughs> yeah, They'll probably yeah. come back, you know, yeah. stuff like that. So I'm, uh, I'm, not, I'm sort of checking the scores a bit, but I'm not watching the games because it's sort of like too much punishment or whatever. <laughs> but, um, I'm pretty confident Liverpool will win their last four games now. They should do, really, in view of who they're playing. Yeah. But I do have a sneaking suspicion that um, City might as well. I suppose, uh, well, a lot might depend what happens um, for them tomorrow night. Like, do they get through against Spurs? Do they not? Um, yeah, it, it they, does depend, doesn't it? You, you, you know, can, if, if City are three 0 up at half time tomorrow, then the game won't be as testing for them as we would like. Obviously, maybe they win one 0 it goes to extra time. You know, all these sorts of things um, would obviously work in our favour. Um, but yeah, honestly, if I had to, if I had to put my money on it, I think Man City probably will win the league. But I'm certainly hoping that that's not the case. Obviously, yeah. Well, like you said, like. You look at City squad and and how they how they completely took the Premier League for a ride last year, and you think, well, at least we're in touching distance of them, uh, which is a good thing. And now, if you look back to thirteen fourteen, you could sort of pick holes and be like, oh, we, we imploded against Palace, or a lot of lot of individual mistakes throughout the season. But this season, if we get ninety seven points and don't win the league, then that's not us being horrible. That's Man City just being complete pure yeah. class. That's not our fault. And the fact that we've managed to get so close is just a testament compared to how far gone the other teams are. Um, 
if we get 97 yeah, exactly. points and we finish second, then it's just simply not meant to be. That's not our fault. That's not us bottling it. That's just it. It's not meant to be. Um, I think it, it does all depend on this very congested period for Man City where they have Spurs at home, United away, and then away at Burnley. Now, I think if they get through those three games with nine points, then I think it's pretty much signed and sealed. Um, yeah, I think the hope for Liverpool is at, at, at somewhere they slip up. But I think for the last couple of months, I've been saying that the league's going to be, in my opinion, I think it's going to be a one-point affair. Um, so whether it's us or whether it's them, whoever wins, it's going to win it by a point. And you just got to hope that someone along the way just just stops stops Guardiola and stops stop that that what is an amazing team when you think about it. It's, it's an incredible team. Unbelievable. Like, is it, like they've got it's, a, it's an eight between Saturday the twelfth of April and Sunday the twenty eighth of April. They've got, obviously they've got Man City at home. United away and then Burnley away, so like you said, Matt, if if they come through them unscathed and it's meant get to be nine points, then we, us as Liverpool fans cannot then go, well, we bottled it because we are facing an um, an unbelievable Man City team, an amazing manager who so, yeah, demands perfection, and what are we meant to do against that? We've talked about it before. This whole <laughs> phrase bottling it, like just that's because we could have been what was it, ten points, twelve points clear. But at the start of the season, I think Man City were like eight points clear. It just—it's a title race. It does happen, doesn't it? You don't win the league in January. You don't win the league in November. There's going to be people are going to be in the league. People are going to be out of it. It just happens. It, I, I don't—I don't agree with the whole—the whole bottling it phrase. Just because we could have no. been. It's only overanalyzed when you lose. If you—if we end up winning, all the—the the, all the bad results against Leicester at home when we drew, all those results will just fade into. Obscurity because it won't matter. It, yeah. It's only you only analyse it when you lose. And, and us as Liverpool fans, the last two times we've had a title charge, we've lost it. So we're well versed in the over analysing. So fingers crossed, doesn't happen this again. This year, it's not even Liverpool fans. It's just <laughs> fans of other teams that don't want Liverpool to win the league because that's the only piece missing for Liverpool. We've got the Champions League, we've got the yeah. FA Cups, with the League <laughs> Cups. It's just the Premier League, and I think everyone sort of realises that once Liverpool get that Premier League, you can't really say anything to shut Liverpool up anymore. They've got everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to win a league. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, on to the next game, which is Porto. Um, two nil up. Far from a foregone conclusion, but I'm pretty I'm pretty confident that we'll get through. Um, what do you make? What do you think uh, in terms of score? Uh, it's going to be very tricky, isn't it? I think, like Klopp says in his um, his post match press conference, uh, they'll, they'll have Pepe back and they'll have Herrera back. And it's away from home. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be very tricky. Um, I think if we get to the end of the first half unscathed, I think we should be okay. I mean, if we can get a goal within the half, they then need four. So yeah. if it, I don't know how Klopp's gonna play, but I'm assuming he's gonna be a bit more conservative, just on the off chance because they'll be very, very off for it with two key players back on the team and stuff. Um, I was just thinking about squad selection, like Andrew. What do you think? What, who do you think he'll go midfield bars the midfield three for this one? Well, obviously the uh, the Champions League game has often seen the uh, midfield that a lot of people don't like, which is uh, oh, the Brexit the, midfield, <laughs> so to speak. Well, oh. I, I didn't want to. I'm sick of that word both <laughs> yeah. in terms of the midfield Hate and it. in terms of just this country. But yeah. Um, yeah, obviously the Brexit midfield, I suppose, which features a Dutchman, which makes no sense. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't exactly. make any sense whatsoever, does yeah. it? Yeah, so that, that's the one he's tended to use in um, Champions League games this season and at the end of last season. Um, Which is a midfield that got us to the final. That's not sort of... Yeah. People need well, to realise that. They, they, they played in some big games last year and did OK. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me to see that. Um, I think I'm right in saying Milner didn't start on Sunday, did he? No. So, no. Um, I would I would imagine that could well have been with an eye on him coming back in. Um, so Milner's probably back in. Um, I suppose it depends how Wijnaldum's doing. Because obviously he didn't start. He's been a bit. Um, I don't think he's been terrible, but he's obviously I think he's looking a bit tired lately. Yeah, so. he did have a really good start to the season, and then he sort of, like you said, the fatigue might just be getting to him at the moment. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's he's um, he's had a lot of minutes, and um, I think. It, Perhaps um, Fabinho, Henderson, and Milner might be the three. Perhaps that wouldn't surprise me. Um, I'm not sure we'll see Cater, so it's, it's probably just a case of whether he goes with the 
the sort of three he's used a lot, or whether Fabinho gets the slot and, and the other three fight over the other two places, something like that. Do you think Shaka or Shaka Origi get any any minutes from the start? Maybe even a return for Joe Gomez at some point? Uh, I mean, it's probably a big ask to put Gomez back in for this one. Uh, but then Lovren came back in for the for the first leg when he hadn't really played for a while. So I suppose you never know. You never know with Klopp. Um, Shakiri's barely played, has he? Origi, I suppose it's a possibility. I mean, I, I, he's wedged I himself back into the into the talk, hasn't he? Origi out of nowhere. Yeah, I think Origi's. Um, I think he's sort of like a handy squad player. I think you know if, if he stayed next season, I wouldn't be too bothered about that. Um, obviously, depends on him. As long as he sort of accepts he's not going to play too often, but I, th- I think he's done okay when he's come on. You know, more often than not. Um, picked up a few useful goals, obviously the Everton one, but you know a couple of others and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I'd be surprised if the regular front three don't start. Um, I don't think. While, while I'd be surprised if Liverpool went out with a two-nil lead, it's not so comfortable that you can just sort of take it for granted. Um, so no, I mean I think the front three will 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 we'll play. I think I mean I think if Liverpool score then it's basically over so you could then yeah. see some some relatively early substitutions yeah. thereafter. Liverpool aren't going to concede four. So yeah, I think if, if if Liverpool score in the first half, I think you could probably see some early subs perhaps second half, but I'd imagine it'll be pretty much full strength first team at least to begin with and, and see how we go from there. Yeah. Well yeah. I think I think we all we all think that we'll go through. Um big question is well, I think I think Barcelona will go through tonight, and obviously that might be different because uh, you never know in the Champions League. But if if we do get Barca, do you think do you feel confident enough that we that we could knock out the likes of Coutinho and Suarez and Messi and possibly get to the final? Do you think maybe Barcelona is just too much of a hurdle? No, I mean I think we could we could probably knock them out. I mean you know Roma knocked them out last Very season, true. didn't they? And PSG. Were what was it four nil up or something? And I know they went out, but the point is, you know, like, it's not like they six they added minutes from knocking them out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and knocking out Barcelona. Now, clearly, this is not me saying it's going to be easy or anything like that, but um, I think the second leg will be at Anfield. Is that right as well? Which obviously helps. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, I wouldn't sort of say it's you know an absolute certainty Liverpool will get through, but I'd be confident they'd have a decent chance of, of getting through. Yeah. Well, I think that, that's the Porto segment covered. Just quickly before yeah. we touch on, on your career for a bit, if that's all right, uh, who would you reckon is uh, the PFA Player of the Year then? It's got to be Van Dijk, hasn't it? It has to be. I think it has to be. It has to be. Because people are talking about Sterling, and uh, fair enough, Sterling's had a great season. But still, Aguero's probably arguably had a better season. Salah's arguably had a better season. Mane's had probably an equal season. Virgil van Dijk's sort of just been the difference maker for this Liverpool team and Although defenders don't usually get it, you have to you have to say that he he definitely deserves it, doesn't he? He has been a monster at the back. It, yeah, he's been ridiculous, hasn't he? Like he, he he makes the game look easy. I mean, like he, like you said, not don't remember when I don't even know if a centre back's ever won it. But, <laughs> but no, not even just in real life, but on FIFA, he really pisses me off. The fact. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever FIFA. I come up against Van Dijk on FIFA, I know I've lost the match. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. Well, if you don't mind, Andrew, talk a bit about about uh, your career as a sort of a football journalist. Um, how how did you get into it? Uh, to be honest, it was uh, it was my hobby. Really, I, I used to write a blog and I do the odd article for like uh, the Tompkins Times and places like that. And then um, I got made uh, redundant from my job, and I'd been there for I can't remember now about fifteen years. So. Um, I sort of, they, you know, redundancy payoff gave me a bit of time to sort of decide what I wanted to do. And I just sort of thought, well, I've got a bit of a sort of, you know, positive reputation from Twitter and writing a few bits and bobs here and there seems to go down pretty well. Why don't I see if I can sort of make this my job? Um, and I have. I mean, touch wood. I mean, obviously, a lot of it's freelance, so, it, you know, it could all end tomorrow or whatever. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, luckily it's been going really well. Um, and obviously, writing for lots of different places helps. I think because then it, you know, yeah. sort of spreads the risk, if you like, rather than being all in on one place. It's like, well, I do a bit for Tompkins Times, a bit for Twelve, a bit for Paddy Power, a bit oh, for yeah, course, yeah. Reds Bet. You know, I've done this is Anfield. I've done a piece for the Anfield 
you know, all these different places over the last couple of years that I've been doing it. Um, and yeah, and, it, and it's sort of ticking along. It's ticking along really well. So um, I'm not I'm not sure I've ever been brave enough to just sort of jack in my job and uh, and just try it. But obviously, having a bit of money behind me it sort of meant that I could, I could take a little while to get going, and it and it wasn't the end of the world. You know, I wouldn't be missing my mortgage yeah. payments and all this sort of stuff. Uh, so I, I was lucky in that regard. But obviously, it's sort of a lot of work had gone into sort of building up a little bit of a reputation prior to that. So. Um, Bit of luck, but but uh, yeah, plenty of hard work as well. And did the editor for Twelve Footballers? That was, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, the site isn't quite as active as it as it has been, or as it was at the start of the season, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I've been doing stuff with them. Uh, the, the, the chap who set it up is a guy called David Sumter. He's uh, Soccermatics on Twitter, and uh, we've always kind of got on because when he first sort of started out on there, I would share a lot of his stuff and get him a bit of sort of coverage and you know retweets and stuff like that so um yeah so it sort of came it sort of initially came through that um but uh, as i say that's sort of one of the good things about having a few different things you know that that has quietened down a bit but i've still got stuff to do with with plenty of other places oh, perfect yeah cool and, and, and finally just a quick question in your professional opinion who do you think is would be the perfect player for, for klopp to sign in the summer question <laughs> <laughs> no easy answer to that is there really I mean or what what position do you think that needs strengthening do you reckon a partner for Van Dijk a, a reserve striker someone in the midfield what, what's your take well I was just thinking about that before before you said that I mean it's sort of that thing of like if Joe Gomez would just stay fit all year round I don't think we need a you know I don't think we need another one but obviously with his injury record you know perhaps perhaps a good centre-back would do, but I, I wouldn't want to get in the way of his sort of development because I think he did really well at the start of the season, you know? Yeah, he did. Um, I suppose, I mean, there is a lack of cre- creativity generally in Liverpool's midfield. I think they've, they've done well um, to sort of work around that by getting the full-backs involved more and they set up all the chances and get all the assists. You know, when you when you look at the top pass combinations for the midfielders, for all of them, it's, it's one of the full-backs. They get the ball, they give it to the full-back and then... Robertson and Trent um, do the rest yeah do the rest basically I know it makes it sound easy but um, they do generally Um, so I suppose a creative midfielder of some kind but I mean who knows maybe maybe Cater could become that guy or Chamberlain was doing Oxley Chamberlain was doing well before he got injured Um, I mean I I think perhaps some as much as I was saying before um, you know I think Origi's done all right and would be a decent backup I suppose a really good strong quality Back up for the front three um, is probably a good idea because like a Werner, you know, for we've, um, we've been pretty lucky that they haven't really had many injuries. You know, they, they, they may have all missed the odd game here or there, but none of them had a really bad injury in the last two years. So, you know, if one of them was out for a long term, then I think, you know, probably have to change the whole makeup of, not the whole makeup of the team, but obviously, you know, probably have to change the tactics and stuff like this. So, a high quality backup for them would be good, but of course that that's easier said than done because yeah. who wants to, you know, be on the bench every week? Nobody does. So, um, you know, I see see a lot of links to sort of Timo Werner. I mean, someone like that would would certainly be would be a good signing, but you know whether that'll happen, I, you know, remains to be seen. But I think I think the good thing is for the first time, well, I don't know how long in how long, but like Liverpool have got a good eleven. In my lifetime, at least. Yeah, they've got a very good eleven. They've got a pretty strong bench. You know, they've had good elevens in the past without the backup. They've now got a pretty good bench as well. Um, obviously, injuries affect that, but that's the same for everyone. So, I, you know, I don't think they're desperate, desperate in any position, which is obviously a great place to be. But um, yeah, some decent cover up front would obviously would, would be no bad thing. Uh, well, I said that was the last question, but I'll just throw one more at you because because <laughs> we've had this a few times. Would you re-sign Coutinho? If it meant sacrificing Cater and Cater's potential, for example, I wouldn't. Um, not because Coutinho is not a great player, because he obviously is. Yeah. But I think some, something I noticed, which is quite interesting, is that once Coutinho left, Oxley Chamberlain last season wasn't far short of sort of scoring or assisting a goal as often as Coutinho was. He was a little bit behind, but bear in mind. Oxley Chamberlain didn't do a lot in the first half of the season, so he's basically coming into the team and, and sort of almost replacing Coutinho's output. Now, 
obviously you sign Coutinho, Coutinho replaces Coutinho's output in theory, but yeah. Barcelona aren't going to let aren't going to let him go cheaply um, because of how much they paid for him. Obviously, we don't know what went on behind the scenes, but I would imagine he presumably pissed Jurgen Klopp off quite a bit oh, by clearly, angling yeah. to leave. Um, Klopp's a big believer, it seems, in the sort of the team and the, the sort of harmony of it. Um, so I think I I wouldn't, for those sorts of reasons, and I would be surprised if it happened. Um, I mean, nothing should surprise you in football, really, because all kinds of crazy stuff happens, but... I think it's probably better to sign with, with with a decent squad in place. It's probably better to sign the next Coutinho rather than the last Coutinho if you can. Yeah, it's yeah. easier said than done. But, Completely um, agree. It's not like I'd be disappointed if he came back necessarily, but I I can't see it, and I'm not sure it would be for the best either. Yeah, completely agree with that. Yeah, I think, like you said, like Klopp's all about squad harmony, and if Coutinho's obviously messed that up slightly in the way that he's left and all these like when he was out with back injuries and in in, 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 inverted, in, in commas, inverted yeah. commas yeah and if he's like pining for a move that people have in the past with Liverpool then obviously he's a, he's a top quality player but like you said Andrew if we if we can get someone as good as or that in a couple of years will be as good as because when we signed Coutinho we we made him into the player he was he but he was not he was he was nowhere near that good when we first signed for us he, he was good in drips and drabs. But he's, he he was quite Lewis Garcia in the in the type of like he'd lose the ball a lot and stuff and he can, he kind of honed that as as the years went by. But if he can sign someone, Coutinho when he was like twenty one and then he can spend a couple of years getting to the level of the likes of Amane or someone like that, then yeah, that'd be great. Well, I think I genuinely think that Keita might might just because seeing him in in the Bundesliga, he yeah he was an amazing midfielder especially amazing creative midfield and I think it's just this season he's sort of needed to adapt and then hopefully in the summer you know with a year under his belt he'll sort of, sort of just yeah. just turn into this, this blossoming rose of a midfield <laughs> we'll, see, <laughs> we'll see next season uh, but and now I'd just like to take this time to, to thank you Andrew for coming on it's been a pleasure having you on um, and yeah, yeah no just thanks for coming on mate honestly yeah cheers Andrew thanks very much for coming on uh, and this has just been the end of the podcast and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Network.